welcome to the Be Bold Fitness Podcast, the show where we talk about different topics in the health, wellness, and fitness space. No topic is off limits here. I'm your host, Tessa Breeden, certified personal trainer and nutrition specialist with a passion for helping busy adults tone up, lose body fat, and feel good. All right, Karina Osuna, I'm so excited to have you, owner of Core Life Habits. So Karina, I feel like one of the connection points we had is that we were both college cheerleaders. And yes. so unique. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no, it's so fun just to find those little connections as you can when you meet somebody new. Um, and I feel like we still have a lot in common as we got past college too. But I'm so excited to be here, really. And I can't wait to chat about all things money. Yeah, I know. So tell everybody a little bit about you because yes, we're talking money today, but you also have a fitness background. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. My gosh, where do I start? Well, again, Tessa mentioned my name already. It's Karina Osuna and I started my coaching business um, literally right in the middle of COVID. My first paying client was on April Fool's of 2020. Like what a joke, right? (laughs) Um, But I started that business intentionally. The intention was for it to be a financial coaching business on the side of my full-time job. At that point, we had only been home two weeks from the whole COVID close down and everything, and everything seemed so unsure. And so I just was like, okay, well, I don't have anything else to do. I'm just going to, you know, build up some clients in this space and we'll see what happens. Cause I don't know when we'll get called back to work. Cause at the time I was an assistant personal training manager um, for a big uh, a big gym at the time. And so took a couple months for them to call us back. But at that time, I, I kind of built up a pretty strong clientele and business. And for as long as I can remember, my, my parents um, are solopreneurs. My grandmother was too. And I've always been bred in this environment of if you can be your own boss, be your own boss. And I thought, yeah, I'll do that one day, like maybe five years from now. But then when COVID hit, everything kind of changed. And so I didn't necessarily want to leave my fitness, you know, environment and background, but I knew I had such a passion for helping people with money. And I did see a lot of similarities between especially nutrition coaching and helping people with their finances. So I eventually built back up my fitness business, but it really just started on the financial end and kind of grew things from there. Very cool. I love that. And I'm actually really excited to pick your brain today because finances are such a tricky topic for a multitude of reasons. And I'd love to know like really what inspired you to get into finance and how that direction went on because you are not a traditional finance manager, like sitting at a desk. You're like you said, working for yourself. And so what yeah. exactly when you say that you work in finance, like what is what does that exactly mean? Yeah, what does it mean and what inspired me? And I like came from like, oh, you were a fitness coach and then all yeah. of a sudden you're in the money world. And yeah. <laughs> the money world is like in this tall building wearing a suit and tie or like, you know, you know, suit jacket and all of that stuff and dealing with the stock market. And that is part of the industry. But really, again, like you said, I work for myself. I work from home. And I help people with the habits and behaviors around their personal finances um, day to day and and month to month. But what got got me inspired and got me passionate about it is that growing up, the biggest thing my parents taught me about money was to save it and to be frugal and don't spend. But I didn't really know much more beyond that. And uh, in college, I remember 
very vividly getting in trouble with my dad. I'm very lucky and blessed that my parents were able to help me through school. And he kept calling me, getting frustrated that I would overdraft my checking account. He's like, you got to stop doing that. Like, I'm <laughs> really angry at me one day. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't even, I didn't even know and understand the concept of overdrafting a checking account, which is pretty simple once you learn what it is. But I just wasn't paying attention to the money that I was given. And I just was kind of clueless. And as I got older, I heard more and more background around like my family's finances, my grandmother, my grandmother passed away, unfortunately, in 2020. And I got a pretty big peek inside what her life was like with money. And it wasn't pretty. Um, And it just left this kind of mess, stress mess, if you will, um, for my mom and for her siblings and what she was able the kind of like note that she left on, which was really sad. But I've seen so many people within my family as well really struggle from the financial end and be in this state of like, we're poor, we will always be poor and you live paycheck to paycheck. And this is just life. There's no getting ahead. And I thought, okay, I'm not trying to be like, you know, the next Bill Gates or anything like that with yachts and a million houses. But I do want to live a comfortable lifestyle. My parents have done well for themselves and now it's my turn. And I had to figure out where to learn how to do that. So I kind of went on my own research adventure. I found a guy named Dave Ramsey and that's where I got started with money because the principles that he taught and does still teach are so simple um, and very easy to follow, which I feel like we all need. It doesn't need to be this like complicated spreadsheet you know, formula piece of work. I just think it needs to be like simple concepts and behaviors that we live by. So that's kind of what got me started and what inspired me. And to answer your question about like what I do, think about everything before the investment stage of your money. That's what I help people with. So helping you set goals and purpose to those goals and why you want to accomplish them. Um, Setting up a plan, which nine times out of 10 comes with a budget. I mean, having a game plan for your money every month helping people get out of debt because that nine times out of 10, 9.9 is what's crippling people on a monthly basis and what's causing the paycheck to paycheck lifestyle because you have so many bills, they're so big that you don't really have any money left over. And then building up a, a solid protective foundation. So an emergency fund, all of that stuff, what is what I encourage people to do before you get to that investment stage and what I help people with day in and day out. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's great. And like I said, I'm really excited about this. Now, I know about Dave Ramsey because I swear that every church I've ever been a part of has done a financial course that is guided by his principles and what he teaches. And so it's something I'm really familiar with. Now, I'll be honest, I've avoided every financial course because I already know they're going to tell me to get rid of credit cards and whatnot, which I'm doing. I'm working on paying off my own personal debt, but I've avoided it at all costs because money is a really scary thing to talk about. Why do you think people are so fearful to talk about finances with other people? Yeah. Oh my God. What a great question. I mean, I feel like that can go so many ways. The first thing that comes to mind is that money is not just numbers. It's like our personal well-being. A lot of people take pride in in money and what they make. And as kids, we get groomed through how many years of school to go find a job to make big dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think there can be this level of insecurity of, oh, well, I might not make as much as what so-and-so makes because we can only see what happens on the outside. Um, So I think a lot of the why people are afraid is this comparison game. Then the other thing is that as adults, we kind of feel this 
um, sense of we should already know how to handle it, right? Because we're adults. But where do we learn about money in school? Like I, throughout grade school, I never learned about money. There may have been like a financial elective at my high school. Maybe. Didn't even know about it. Never took it. Didn't know anybody who took it. And then I did take a finance class in college, but that was more geared towards like corporate and business finance. Not so like, not so much my personal side. So I think as adults, we feel like, oh, we're supposed to know. And when we don't, we're embarrassed that we don't. And then they don't want to ask. So that's what I see commonly too. When people come to me, they feel embarrassed. They feel shame. They feel awkward. And and I'll meet with people who are a lot older than me too. And that gets kind of intimidating. So I think it's an intimidating factor and this kind of like shame and embarrassment that gets associated because I don't make a lot or I should know when I don't. I think that's where all that comes from. I agree. And I think that over the past few years, especially owning a business, I've almost found that talking finances to some degree. Now, I'm not saying share your bank statements with all of your friends, but I think that the more open and vulnerable we are about these topics, especially with finances, it actually gives us a lot more education about these subjects. When I was feeling really bad about having a certain amount of credit card debt, knowing that a friend of mine who she did make significantly more money than I did, but knowing that the way that they manage their finances was somewhat comparable to the way I was trying to manage mine almost made me feel better. And like, I wasn't doing something terrible. Like, do I have credit card debt? Do I pay off my credit cards every month? Do I do X, Y, and Z, you know? And so just having that information was really helpful in a, in a way to really understand where I needed to be. And then on the business side of things, it's really helpful talking to your peers or in your industry to find out, okay, well, how are you managing certain expenses? How are you, how are you saving for these really large education courses that you're purchasing? How are you preparing to hire on teams? And a lot of these conversations are avoided by people because like you said, there's a lot of embarrassment or people think that it is, like taboo or a bit gaudy to talk about money when it's not a matter of talking about money. It's actually providing that education and help for people. And I think that if it's done in a tasteful way, I don't think anything is wrong with talking about money. If it's something, somebody that you feel comfortable and confident talking to it about. Right. Oh my gosh. I could not agree more. And to kind of go off that point of like why people don't talk about it, think about like your grandparents in their generation or your parents in their generation, like culturally speaking, what I've seen in our country. And again, I live in a small portion of the world, but money wasn't talked about or is managed by one spouse and not the other. Um, and it was a very like closed, you know, behind closed doors, behind the curtains, just not a conversation that people would have. Um, or it could be very boastful. Like you see people in our generation, you get on social media and here I am in St. Lucia and I'm traveling the world and I bought this house and I have this new car. It can kind of go both ways. But I grew up in a household where money conversations like weren't really had that much. Um, and if they were, they did not leave the household. They did not leave the family. But there's things that um, I couldn't even tell you what my parents make, nor is it really at this stage in my life, my responsibility to know that or need but I think considering the household that you grew up in, 
can really play a role in why people don't talk about it. But I do agree with you. And I think that goes into the fitness space too. I think you can relate to that. When somebody comes to you and they're like, Tessa, I want to lose weight. And they might have insecurities about their body. They don't want to come to somebody who's going to sit there and judge them and make them feel embarrassed for where they stand today. And that's something I really try to work on is that whoever comes to me and wherever you stand, there is no embarrassment. There's no dumb questions. There's no shame because one, we all make mistakes. And two, we might not have known, you know, but what's the point in making somebody feel more embarrassed? I think that's just going to turn people away in finding the help and seeing the change. I totally agree. You actually brought something up that I want to segue into because I think this is a really, really interesting topic. So you said, On social media, you'll see people parading around in St. Lucia or going on these really luxurious vacations. Or if you're like me and you have downloaded TikTok, you see all of these new clothes and really exciting things that you can instantly buy with a face ID on your phone. It's crazy. (laughs) There's a lot to dive into here. But the first part of this is how many people are like actually in debt? Oh my goodness. I, okay. Let me just at least pull off of like my client population in the people that I've met with, which is perfect. gotta be at least uh, over a thousand, but several hundred people, 98% of them. No, I'd say 99% of them are in some form of debt outside of their house. Like I help people a lot with eliminating the debt that is not their mortgage, which I want you to get rid of your mortgage payment one day too, but that obviously takes much longer. But 99% of the people I meet with or I coach have debt. Credit cards, student loans is a huge one. Auto loans, personal loans, debts that sit in collections, debts with the IRS. I mean, it comes from all, all angles. Store cards or a furniture payment plan or a dentist payment plan. I mean, there's so many payment plans out there and it's so encouraged on things like TikTok. Buy this $50 sweater for a simple $19.75, three payments on Afterpay. Like our world and our country at least promotes those because it makes those companies money. And it's guaranteed money month after month. And then it's in, for us, we think about our money in a small perspective. Oh, it's 19 bucks a month. It's not that much. But what about overtime, right? Think about a car payment. $300, okay. But think about over time, you bought the car for 30000 but you're really going to spend $50,000 on it. And then for cars, they depreciate. So you spent 50000 and at the end, it's worth twenty when you originally bought it for thirty. So I think it, it's time to start thinking about money a little bit differently, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. And also really eye-opening to think that almost all people are in debt. I think that we see so many people or maybe we see friends that are debt-free or people really boasting about being debt-free, which is awesome. I'm really happy for those people, but I do think that it makes people that have some sort of debt feel some sort of way. And <laughs> I it's it, it took me a while to realize that not that my debt is quote unquote okay, but it's normal and it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm financially irresponsible. I don't have to put that title on myself and yeah. say that I'm financially irresponsible because that's not the case. Have I made mistakes financially? Sure. But that doesn't mean that I'm terrible with money or that I have to say those types of things. So I think it is really good to know that a lot of people are in debt in in some sort of way, but 
Is it true that it's possible to get out of debt? Oh my gosh, yes. And to speak on that like element of identity, again, I see so many crossovers between like health and fitness and money. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes what holds people back from like your question, is it possible to get out? Is that we don't, we identify ourselves as like where we're at or one piece of the puzzle. Like if your goal is weight loss and somebody says, I'm going to identify myself as I'm fat, which is, I think a very strong word by the way. But when we identify ourselves as the thing that we're struggling with, I think that really gets people stuck. Like, because you've made a money mistake, just you said it perfectly. Like you've made money mistakes, but I don't identify myself as terrible with money. You shouldn't, right? Like, yes, we make mistakes. We're human. But if you continue to keep your identity a certain way, it's hard for us to change our identity, you know? Mm-hmm. But in terms of, is it possible? It is absolutely possible. Nine times out of 10 with the clients that I work with, the income is not the problem. Most people come to me and they're like, oh, my problem is that I don't make enough money for all my bills. I'm like, the income's not the problem. You make great income. It's where the income is going is the problem. And we have to stay within a certain range of means, right? For it to, we all have a capacity. I tell all my clients, even Jeff Bezos has only so many billions of dollars, <laughs> right? If Jeff Bezos has $10 million or $10 billion and he spends 12, he's going to be in debt, even though he makes an mm-hmm. extreme load of money, right? So we have to figure out a way to decrease our expenses, which comes with a little sacrifice, right? And then maybe temporarily find ways that we can increase the income to widen that gap and then to start getting rid of those things. But it's nine times out of 10 where we're prioritizing where the money goes each and every month. That's where my wheels are just turning here because as you mentioned, money is very similar to the health and fitness space because when I think of this, I am very much a, I need to relate something to really comprehend it. That is just how my brain works. And so I always tell clients when we're doing macro tracking to relate it back to money and using our daily macros as like you get a budget every single day and you spend that budget. And it's the same thing when you're talking about these finances where you have a certain amount of money that's coming in, but you have to be the one that's making those decisions. And it is a game of it's a tug of war. You know, you have to give and take in certain areas and figure out where your lifestyle fits in these budgets. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times, if you want to get to that goal of financial freedom or having no debt, you got to give some things up to get what you want. And it's the same thing in your health and fitness journey. If you want to lose weight, you have to give up X to receive Y. And right. it just totally clicked in my brain. <laughs> yes. And that's, I think, the hard thing for us to do as human beings, right? Like, it's a very, like I said at the beginning, it's a habit and behavior-based situation. You know what I mean? But you're so right. And think about it with food and with macros. Okay, you have 50 grams of fat for the day, 100 grams of carbs, but you can physically have available in your fridge and at the you know grocery store and at a restaurant way more calories than what your budget allots you every day. And so it's for up to us to create that boundary and for us to say, here's my stopping point. And not to feel like that is restrictive or you're held back or I'm confined in this little hole. I think when we think in a restrictive mindset, then we so badly want to get out of it. And then that's when we bust through the seams on our budget, whether it be food or money. Um, and I think anytime, 
I remember this story always reminds me of this. My sister, when we were younger, the stove was hot. My, we're all in the kitchen. My parents are like, don't touch the stove. It's hot. Okay. Well, now all of a sudden my sister wants to touch the stove because it's hot and now she's curious. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? When we're told not to do something, I think our mind interprets that as like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Now I want to do it because I yeah. was told no. We don't want to be told no, whether it's from somebody else or from ourselves. So I think it's, you can use the word sacrifice, but I think it also is, you can just use the word change. You got to change the way you're living to see a different result. You can't expect a different result and do the exact same thing you're doing already, right? Again, applies to both areas, money or health. Absolutely. Yeah, this is, like I said, totally clicking for me personally. I'm in the midst of creating my own budget spreadsheet, which is kind of terrifying, so what are yeah, you what, doing it? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're trying. We're trying to make moves here. But yeah. what is the first step when you are trying to figure out how to clear out debt? First, let's get all your current fixed expenses. That's any bill that's due at the same date of every month at the same price. AKA, my rent is due $1,500 on the first of every month. My car payment, $346 on the eighth of every month knowing everything that is demanded of your money um, from the fixed expense perspective and comparing that to your income. So from the get-go, let's say you make $5,000 and your bills, the whole list of them is about 4,000 bucks. Okay, right then and there we can see we've got $1,000 of margin for any variable expenses. Examples, food, gas, an oil change that month a haircut because it's been COVID and it's been a year since you got a haircut, whatever pertains to that month. We've got a thousand dollars. Then we meet in our next session and we draw out the, both of those together and we have to create a plan. And at the beginning, when you're first budgeting, I always tell people, give yourself 90 days to really like stay within your budget because don't expect yourself to just change everything overnight, right? You're not even tracking anything right now or knowing what's what. So don't beat yourself up. But let's create some estimates in the areas of how much is your, you know, are your groceries costing you and how much does your gas cost you? And do we need to get an oil change this month? And from there, I tell people we've got to create this as a zero based budget. Have you heard of that term before? No, I haven't. All that means is that you list your income at the top, you subtract all of your expenses, fixed and variable. And at the end, it's got to equal zero. And that doesn't mean I had a client say, Karina, you want me to put $0 in my checking account? I'm like, no, no, no. This is you're planning your money for the next month before you've even received the income. And you're putting it in different buckets or categories, whether you're saving 200 of that income or you're putting an extra 200 towards your debt or it's all has a plan and a purpose. There's no leftover money. It's not leftover because it's going to go somewhere. So when we create that first, then I say, track it. Again, just like your food, you're going to give them a macro budget, but if they're not tracking what they're eating throughout the day, how are they going to know that they stuck to it or stayed under or went over, right? So once we track for a solid 30 days, then month after month from there, we can start to narrow in on those variable expense areas and then start to gear more money towards the debt at the end of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. What is the best way to start tracking your expenses? my gosh, just write it down. I mean, you could use a spreadsheet. You could use a journal and piece of paper. You could use budgeting apps. There's apps like Mint or Every Dollar or Truebill. There's so many different um, options out there. I don't think there's like a gold star 
here's the only one. I think it's just whatever works for you. Cause I have a spreadsheet that I use with my clients when I'm working with them. So I can see the updates as they come in. However, some people are like spreadsheets make me want to vomit. I don't even want to look at this thing because they just don't like spreadsheets or for whatever reason, it doesn't work or click for them. Um, maybe it's not as user friendly for them, but then we get on an app and it's like, bang, bang, bang. And they're doing it. They're tracking it They're I just had a client experience this just within the last two months. She's been so on top of her budget with an app before beforehand with the spreadsheet wasn't doing it at all. So I think it might come with a trial and error, but at least just start writing them down and go beyond just reading your bank statement, right? We've got to categorize what's going where and how much in each of these spaces. Okay. Yeah. Is there a certain percentage that people should be allocating to their savings or to their Mm. debt from their income every single month? What a great question. I don't go based off of percentages really in these beginning stages, whether it comes to debt elimination or even, you know, their savings, because each month can look so different. And I think sometimes in these beginning stages, when we stick to percentages, it can get frustrating because it doesn't always like work out that way. So I personally wouldn't go off percentages at the beginning when you are getting out of debt or getting an emergency fund in place. But once you're past those like fundamentals, then I think things can be a little bit more automatic and you've been tracking on your budget much longer. For instance, I always hear a common like, oh, save 10% of your income or keep your food budget within 10 to 15%. One percentage I do recommend is if you have a mortgage especially, but even with your rent, to make sure it's not more than 25% of your take-home pay. That way your, your home payment isn't costing you so much that you have no room for anything else. Usually when I see it's like 40 or 35 or above 25, then things just feel like an extra tight squeeze. So right out of the gate, that's the one percentage I would stick to. Otherwise, I would I would play it by ear month by month. Nobody moved to the city of Austin. <laughs> yeah. Stop moving to Austin. Stop moving to Texas because then your stuff is just going to keep increasing. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I actually moved, which you know, a little bit further yes. out of town because my rent was becoming so significant Uh out of monthly income that it just was no longer a priority to me. And it was more of a priority to me to have additional income for other, other things that I really enjoy. And so it's a huge move. That's huge. I, I meet with people all the time where that they don't make an option. And I think when it comes to your health goals or your money goals, You've got to figure out for you what you are willing to change or sacrifice um, and what you're not willing to change. I know when I first started coaching, because I was like so gung-ho, I'm like, here's how you do it. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I would sometimes kind of project what I felt like I would suggest sacrificing as their coach. But then I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, it's your choice. It's your money. It's your body and your health. I can't tell you what to do. I can just only show you the most effective way to do it and what makes sense to me and how I coach people to see success. But some people I have, they're like, you know what, Karina? I know I've got a hundred grand worth of debt. I'm just not willing to give up on getting my nails done every month. And I'm going to spend $110 on that. Okay. If that's your, that's your boundary, that's your boundary. So I think like a move is so big and it can help so much. I mean, I'm sure there's a hundred, several hundred dollars worth of savings that you have from moving from one place to the other. 
Um, so you got to really look at every angle of your lifestyle and say, what am I willing to change and mix up again for the time being to get out of where I'm at and into a better place? Absolutely. Like you said, though, you said that it's obviously up to the individual to choose where their boundaries are and where that Mm -hmm. give and take is. Is there a specific area in people's finances that you oftentimes see that they're overspending? Maybe that's at Starbucks or something of that nature. Yes. Eating out. Just food in general, but eating out. And I know, and again, I'm not Dave Ramsey by any means. I really follow his fundamental principles, but I'm not him as a human being, right? I have a little bit of a different approach. And his whole approach is like, you should not see the inside of a restaurant unless you work there is this kind of phrase, right? Um, And for some people, that's not always realistic. I have some clients where they work out on jobs and they're at different projects every day and having a lunch that they take with them, like where they can't refrigerate it and can't microwave it is maybe not realistic. And that's very few circumstances though. Hundreds, if not like thousands of dollars get spent on food every month. And especially this year, prices have gone up so much. Like you can go sit down to eat. And like, I just was so amazed. I'm like, wow, that was $30 or wow, that was $50 or $75 when it used to cost way less. I had my very first client that I got on April Fool's of 2020. It was a family of four. Her kids were 13 and 15. She goes, Karina, we only spent at the most 500 bucks on groceries. Okay. So we budgeted in the first budget, 500 bucks. Um, And that's what we felt like was a nice fluffy room for if anything crazy happens. Okay. She tracks for 30 days. We come to our next session. $1,250 was spent on groceries alone. She's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea how much money I really spent in this area. Because a lot of times our brain just thinks about that, that transaction. Oh, it was just a hundred bucks. It was just 20 bucks. We don't think about how it grows over time. I've I've seen that. I spend significantly more than that on groceries just for myself. (laughs) And that's the thing. I get that question all the time of like, well, what's common for a family of four? What's common for an individual? I'm like, I couldn't tell you because every person's lifestyle is completely different. So we've just got to go off of what you know from yourself and then kind of tackle that from there. But the food budget is the most talked about, trickiest part of the budget for most people. I... (laughs) Love that you brought this up because obviously on my side of things, being a business owner, I have to have money conversations when people are purchasing packages from me or purchasing coaching from me. Right. And it comes down to, oh, wow, this program's a little more expensive. And I'm sure you've encountered this. Coaching itself doesn't matter if it's financial coaching, fitness coaching, whatever coaching. Coaching Mm -hmm. is not an inexpensive luxury. I understand that you understand that, but it comes down to that priority. And a lot of times I'll ask people, I say, how much money do you spend every single month going out to eat and drinking alcohol? Uh I know their answer now, like my prices, I'll just throw out, like my prices are right around 400 a month. And I know for a fact that a majority of people that are seeking out my services are going to be spending more than 400 a month on eating and drinking. Yep. And especially, especially if you are dating, it is so (laughs) easy to go out. And if you are a man and you go out to eat and you are taking Uh a girl to go get drinks and then you guys go get dinner, 
And depending, obviously, on what city you're in, a lot of times that dinner, that one date during the week is yeah. going to at least, at least cost you $100. Exactly. If you want four dates, if you're willing to give up going on dinner dates or going out to dinner every single Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, right. these priorities can be just that. They can actually become your priorities, but yeah. there's a give and take. Yes. Oh my God. I cannot agree more with every word you just said, but I always tell people, you can see people's priorities by where their money goes. You just look at their budget and you can see exactly what people prioritize. Cause here's what I can tell you. People will come to me and say, Karina, I want it so badly to get out of debt. I'm so sick and tired of paying these payments in month after month. I've seen people where it's like, we budgeted that and you just didn't do it right? Because maybe we did spend more on restaurants than what we had planned, or we did get an extra, you know, Manny and Petty or whatever it might be, or an unexpected expense have come up. But the second that they have a group trip with their friends planned and they're going to the beach, no problem. They can come up with the money right in that second, pay their friends for the group trip, and they're ready to go. I'm like, okay, that was a thousand dollars that came out of nowhere. Like, where did (laughs) we need to transition that energy from that to this? Again, temporarily, but I think it all comes down to just this give and take. Like life is not this, it's not this like abundance of we have everything and can expect a certain result in a certain area. If you want to see weight loss, we probably shouldn't be having like soda and chips and cookies and crackers every single day, right? There is a give and take with the balance. Again, it's not saying don't have a cookie every once in a while. That's not saying don't go get your nails done every so often. But how often are we doing these things and how much are we trying to really get money in the other space? But when when it comes to like the paying the fee for coaching services, I know when somebody is ready to be coached and ready to say, Tessa, I, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Tell me what my plan is. I'm ready to take action. When they have no questions about the fee. Mm-hmm. Anytime I get questions about the fee, 9.9 times out of 10, they're just not ready to take that step. And sometimes it could be for a different reason, but a lot of times I have no issues with people committing to my fees when they're ready to take a change. I even had a client who just started yesterday. She uh, was one of my first clients. And since I think we stopped coaching about a year ago, she just recently came back, hadn't seen her, um, heard from her in a while. My rates have significantly increased since I first started coaching. No questions asked. All right, Karina, I'm ready. Let's do it. She just was like, I know I need the help. I saw the results the first time I got off track, but I know how valuable this is. So I feel like people in the, like when you are seeking out one-on-one coaching, I mean, customized programs that the value of it isn't questioned when they're ready to rock and roll. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I completely concur with that. And it's just something we constantly see. And if people are trying to, actually fit it in their budget. They will, they will find ways to do it that work best for them. They will ask for appropriate payment plans if that is an option, or they will figure out how to allocate that budget. And I don't think it's as complicated as we make it, but we make it very complicated. And like you said, we always think that there isn't a budget for things. I'm really guilty of this. I'll say, oh, I don't have a budget for X, Y, and Z. I don't have the money to do this. But somehow I had the money to order things off of Amazon or I happened to have the budget to get an extra 
special treat or whatever and go out to eat and I find these things. And so, like you said, it's just budgeting things in, whether it's money-wise or calorie-wise, we're just figuring out how to fit things into our lifestyle if they're important to us. I actually recently, in an effort to help alleviate some of my budget, I realized that I find a lot of joy in self-care things, getting my eyelashes done, my nails done, things like that. But I cannot justify spending $85 on a pedicure. I just think ludicrous. And so I went (laughs) out and I spent... $150. I felt like that was a good enough value to purchase everything I needed, a drill, gel, a lamp to do my nails. We're on video right now. Obviously, people are not going to be able to see us, but I am doing my own gel nails. I taught myself how to do them because it's something I value. And I realized it was something I could do myself. And I think that when it comes to that give and take, we also can realize there's a lot of things that we are in a world where everything is online. If you need to build a house, YouTube it. Need to fix your car, YouTube it. Okay, maybe work on YouTube to fix your car. But you understand the point. So we have so many things at our fingertips to teach us how to do certain things and to teach us these really amazing skills. Now, not everybody's going to do that, but it's so easy to figure out how to do things that you really do value. If you're not a good cook, learn how to cook, go online, go on TikTok, go on YouTube. Like there are so many resources to teach people how to do things and to make things fit within their limitations. Yeah. Could not agree more. And you're right. Like it just depends on what you do value. And it takes a little bit of time and self-discovery. Like And I get the same way, like cooking. I love to cook. I love the idea of it. I'm not super great, but I hate taking the time to do it. I just do. But I do it anyways because I prioritize making sure I've got some healthy meals throughout the week. But it's just this, it's money and it's time, right? Oh, we're all so busy, which we are. Like everybody in this country, in this world has very busy lives. But like, what are we willing to give up to create time for something? And that could be for your self-care, Are you willing to give up 30 minutes in front of your computer from work to go just like rest and take a nap for a second if you are on two hours of sleep? So I think it's a lot of like, there's only so much money, there's only so much time, and you've got to figure out what is the priority for you at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously debt is a really big one that we got very deep into, but what are some of the biggest challenges you see when it comes to creating these budgets for people? Um, I think a little part of it is just like the know-how from the start because nobody's ever really walked them through it. And once you do, it can be pretty simple. It just is like having a system in place and knowing the purpose and how it works. But part of it is the know-how. And then as you start to track, again, it's just a behavior and a habit that you're trying to develop strength around. So even though the act of tracking and writing down that I spent $7.52 at Chick-fil-A is an easy thing to write down, It's like doing it every day. It's like telling your clients to drink water or to go and do their workout every day. Like, okay, it's not too hard. I have the plan. It's written right here in front of me, but just doing it and making the time for it. So that's the second one. First is like the know-how of creating it. The second one is just the habit of tracking on it. And then I would say the third one, which is the hardest and what we've been talking about practically this whole time, is just seeing what they are spending and where. 
rearranging that to meet their goals. So what does that mean, right? If, especially if we're trying to avoid debt. We've only got so many dollars that are coming in in the month, so I've got to rearrange X, Y, and Z so that I can save an extra $200 so that I can invest into my retirement plan. So I think it's like the decision-making once you do see where your money is going, like you got to start making decisions of what you are going to take a pause on or cut out or leave alone for a while to then gear it in a different direction. Is it more important to pay off debt or to put money towards your savings? Ah, another great question. Everybody's circumstances is different. That's why I love one-on-one coaching. But again, 9.9s out of 10, I coach people to get rid of your debt first before you start saving. Save a little bit of money. I have my clients save a little starter emergency fund because what if you get a flat tire and you got, you know, and it's $300 to go get fixed and you don't have anything in the bank for that. So I do have my clients have a little baby emergency fund as we start, but please, please, please get rid of what you paid for yesterday before you start saving for the future. I see so many people more on the investment side of things that people are like, I got to invest. I got to invest, which is so true. You got to start early and the earlier you start, the better. But if you're sitting on a pile of a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt from loans and credit cards and whatever, why are we starting to gear our money towards 30 years down the road when we haven't even handled what happened five years ago, especially with student loans? I know that's a hot topic right now, but I have clients who are in their 50s or 60s with student loans, still their own student loans, not their kids. And then we're at that time, of course, you are more worried about retirement because you're getting closer, but pay off yesterday clear up your past before you start planning for your future. Is it ever too late to start taking care of your debt? No, no. I have clients who are in their 60s and they had quite a bit of debt from all places, credit cards, store cards, personal loans, home project loans, and their biggest one is student loans, which we're about to be tackling. But they're 60, 58 or 60 years old. And they have taken the last year and a half, two years, and they've almost paid off $80,000. By the end of this year, the only thing left is going to be their student loan. But there has been so many things that have come their way that they're like, if we had not cleared up these obligations of these payments every month, there's no way we could have done it. Because their money every month is tied up. It gets to go everywhere else except their own pockets, you know? So I never think it's too late to start taking care of that. Pay off what you borrowed, you know? If you borrowed a t-shirt from your friend's closet, give it back. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's um, a great example. Yeah. Okay. So what if you are not tackling this alone and you are in a partnership, whether it is mm. a married partner or a partner that you are planning mm. to start a life with? What are some tips to tackling a budget with a partner especially if one of you is more invested in paying off debt than the other. This is definitely like the gold question of the day. We could spend, we could spend a whole nother hour at least talking about this category, but the number one thing, like if there's only one thing that any listener out there gets from this and you have a partner or spouse is have conversations. Just talk about it. Just, just talk about it in a peaceful manner and really get to understand one another and where you come from. Again, going back to what household you grew up in and how you understood money and what you were taught about with money 
how you currently handle it. The biggest problem I see within partnerships, relationships, marriages is that they don't talk about it. So then what happens is that we start assuming things about each other. It's just like with a friend. Maybe something happened at the coffee date that y'all had. She said something kind of off, but she has no idea that you feel a certain way about it. Nothing goes said. So it's just this gray bubble, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, when that happens with your money and you're in a team partnership, the game plan is not going to go as we'd like, right? It's just like a foot because we are in football season. If part of the team knows the game plan and the other doesn't, can we expect them to be successful in the field? Probably not. So I think, and that's, I think the hardest part is to have conversations because it can be intimidating. It's not always fun. It can be frustrating, all of the above, right? But just have, have conversations about it and do meet with a third party person, AKA a coach, at least at the beginning, if you're feeling that we're not on the same page to help you create like unison goals. So if you are talking about it, do create goals together and Hey, how are we going to tackle this together? Because when you get married, you kind of are like, we're now one, we're a team. We do life together. And I see people do that, but then they keep their money separate. I'm like, why is that? Why is it that we're a team, but we're deciding not to go all in? You know? Do you think that it's important to start having these conversations when you're dating or engaged or like at what stage do you think it's really good, important? Yeah, what a good question. Because I started dating my husband at 17 in high school and we met at 14, like at a very young age. So our my personal experience with that looks a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think definitely not on the first date. We don't need to be talking about it. Okay. <laughs> How much debt do you have? And how do you, you know, do you have a budget? So um, wait, you're not supposed to ask people how much money they make on the first, no, Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, don't don't get into it on the first date. But if you're dating for a couple of months, you know, and you start to see this thing getting serious, and I think every person can feel that out for themselves, to start having conversations like, hey, what was money like for you? Just like we would maybe ask about their past relationships or the relationships with their parents. And what what was that like? What was that experience like? Start to get to know them from that element, but give yourself some time to get to know the person first and knowing that if you see that potential uh, long-term with them, I don't think it's too soon sometimes at that point to start, you know, opening up those conversations. Cause that is the number one reason why people get divorced nine times out of 10, why people split is because of money. So go into your, especially if you're going into engagement or marriage, know exactly what their strengths and weaknesses are, what they want to do, what they don't want to do. Cause that it's going to be a lifelong journey on that front. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I'm absolutely not a relationship expert by any means, but I totally agree with that because I think that it's extremely important to understand somebody else's relationship with money, because if your relationship with money is different than theirs and things like vacations or gift giving starts coming up and that's something that you value, I think it's really important to state where you find importance because if somebody took me on a vacation and made me stay at a cheapy hotel, I would lose my mind. And that's (laughs) something that is important to me. And I guarantee it might not be important to somebody else. And so having those conversations, like you said, are really important. I think it provides a lot of clarity, but at the end of the day, it's just communication. And it's really easy to forget that people cannot read our minds. 
Yeah. So I think communication is super, super key. I totally agree. Couldn't have said it better myself. Okay, Karina. So one last question before we finish up this podcast. What is the number one tip about budgeting or money management that you have for the general population? The biggest thing I can think about or the first initial thing that comes to mind is um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Because even myself, like I work with a financial advisor to help me with my investment goals, or I work with my husband to say, hey, do we think that this is right for ourselves? Just don't be afraid to have conversations around money. Again, kind of going back to what I said earlier, I think culturally a lot of people that I've met with that I've personally experienced is that money, you don't talk about it. Um, I think we need to change what that looks like. You don't need to open up your bank account and show everybody. You don't need to tell everybody what you make. But let's just talk about money in general, how we approach it, how we feel about it in our relationship with it, and get a plan in place. Some plan for your, you're going to, you go to school for 12 to 16, maybe more years to work so hard to make this income to sustain your life. But then if you have no plan from there, it's like, what was that all for? You know? I don't want you to throw away all your hard work from, you know, to get you that good job and then all your hard work for the next 30, 40 years just to be sitting at 60, 70, 80 years old and be like, I got nothing. I got to live with my children in their basement and I can't do much because I only have so much. That's not what I want for people. So ask for help and create a plan. Love it. All right, Karina. Well, thank you so much. I am about to hop off this podcast and go update my budget. Yes, I love it. (laughs) But no, I really appreciate this. And I think that this is such a helpful topic and it's a topic that not a lot of people discuss. And so thank you for sitting down with me and having this conversation and talking all things money. Where can people find you if they are looking to book your services? Yeah, go to my website, corelifehabits.com or find me on Instagram at corelifehabits. And thank you for having me. I feel like money, again, is just not as widely talked about all the time. And I just really enjoyed this conversation. It was a lot of fun. But yes, corelifehabits website or Instagram, you'll find me there. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. Of course. 